Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 to 25. Hallelujah. 14 to 25. Verse 14 says this. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am unspiritual. This is Paul speaking. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I What I hate, I do. Anyone agree with that? And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anyone agree with that? Come on, let's be honest this morning. Verse 20 says, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Verse 21, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I agree with that. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Verse 24, Paul says, what a wretched man I am. I agree with that too. Not Paul, for me. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature... A slave to the law of sin. Anyone fancy being a Christian after reading that? Anyone fancy following Jesus when you know that that's the kind of thing that Paul describes? Because when I read that, I'll tell you, I agree totally with it. In fact, it's helpful for me as a Christian to see this and think, wow, at least if Paul had this kind of struggle, then I'm okay. If Apostle Paul, who saw all the great miracles and went around doing all these great things, he has this major struggle in his life, if it's okay for him, then boy, I'm okay. I don't know about you today, but I'm going to speak on sin today. And everyone always thinks, oh no. But the truth is, every one of us in this room today is sinners. Everyone, including me, we're all sinners, saved by his grace. Amen. But I want to talk today because when I read Romans 7 and I, Romans great book, but when I read what Paul has to say here in these very verses, it always encourages me and I'm always intrigued to understand a little bit more about what he's talking about because I don't know about you, 
But he talks about a war. He says, I feel like I'm in prison. He talks about being in battle. Paul seems like he's in a pretty serious dilemma when he talks like this. And I believe for some of us today in our Christian walks, whether we've been a Christian for years, 30 years, 20 years, whatever it is, a few days, a few weeks, you are going to come to a point, and it could even be in the first few days, where you feel like this. You feel exactly like Paul describes. The title of the message today is Torn in Two. Torn in Two. I'm just going to read to you quickly what we've just read in the message. What Paul, how he describes just a few verses of what we've just read from the message in Romans 7, verse 21 to 24. If you look at the screen, it says this. It happens, Paul says, so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. Covertly mean I try to hide it. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, says Paul, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know if you feel like that today. He says, I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? This is a believer. This is Paul talking about his life as a Christian. Talking about this old self that he's battling with as he's a Christian and operating his life. And you see... Many people can tell us that being a Christian, it's so easy and we, we are, now we're really happy. The truth is this, that the moment you accept Jesus into your life, boy, the battle begins. You have just entered into the ring with the enemy. And the more good things you do, the more things you try to do, and the more things you try to do to please God and live that godly life, the more the enemy seems to knock you down and you feel like... What? Why am I doing this? I mean, Paul must have thought to himself, it was so much easier when I went around persecuting Christians. I didn't have any of these battles. I was on kind of the winning side persecuting them. Now, I'm a believer and I've got this new battle. And I feel like I'm a prisoner. And I feel like I'm in a war, he says. So should we expect the same experience as Paul as Christians. Should we, as Christians today, if you're saying, I, I'm not a Christian yet, I don't know if I believe all this, what you're saying. I, I've heard what you said about the miracles, I've heard what you said about healing, but I don't know if I want to join this kind of thing if I'm going to be in a war. But I want to ask you today, do you think, do you expect as a Christian that you will have these same experiences? We all know that this experience of sin, the temptation to sin, the temptation for us as, as believers has never changed since Adam and Eve. In fact, Adam and Eve, who were in Eden, I want to tell you today that every single day, the moment that alarm clock goes off and you wake up, every single day we're living in our own Eden. The moment we get up, we've got the challenge. You see, Adam and Eve were right there in this beautiful, perfect place. And he says the servant tempted them. 
And I don't know if you can affiliate with this or you can recognize this as a believer. Just stay with me for a minute. But when you feel like you're going so well, Paul says it feels like all of a sudden it just seems to come in. Just when I least expected it. Just when everything was going right. Isn't that when it is? I find it's just the same for me. Everything's going great. Everything's going brilliant. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, there he is. And they were right there in Eden. And the serpent comes. And the first thing he does is tempt them. You see, God's first command to them was this. He said his first command in the Bible was to be fruitful. His first command is to be fruitful across the earth, be productive. But his command to them was this. He said, you, it's an interest in this, but read it. He tells them not to eat from a tree. But remember, the first thing he says before that, he says, you can eat from any tree. He doesn't say, that one is totally out of bounds. You're going to have to get through some security measures to get to this tree. He says, the first line he says is, every single tree in this garden you can eat from, including the one that I don't want you to. You've got the choice. The first command is he gives them opportunity. Many people say today, why is God doing all the things? Does he allow sin and all these trouble in the world? Do you know what? The very first thing he does is he gives us free will. He gives you free will. He says, do you know what? As a, as a parent, as a father, a heavenly father, I'm saying to you, this is what I want you to do, how to live your life. I'm encouraging you. These are the, these are the best ways to live. And it's all in his word. But he says this, he, he encourages and instructs, but just like he gave him that command, he says, but you must not eat from this tree. He says, you can eat from any tree you want, but you must not. Please don't. You see, Eve soon, if you look at the scripture, we're not going to go to it, but Eve, when she listens to what the serpent has to say, when she listens to what the enemy has to say, he says, he's going to give you wisdom. If you eat from this tree, it will give you wisdom. You will know knowledge of good and evil. You'll know the things that God doesn't want you to know. And if you notice this, just a few lines later, Eve, when she's describing what how desirable this fruit is, it says that she saw that the fruit was good. And it had the ability to give wisdom. Who told her that? You see, she adds it into her own vocabulary. So many of us do that today. The enemy whispers into our ear. He tells us these things. He tells us what... What if we were to sin and go over this line, this division line we see every single day when we wake up? The challenges. He tempts us to drop, to cross over that line. And sometimes what he does is this. It's the same as what he does. The pattern is the same. He tries to draw us over the line by tempting us and we end up thinking it's our own idea. We end up thinking that it's our idea. Eve said that it, it, it brought, it was, it was going to bring wisdom. But the enemy told her that. And I want to tell you today that when you're in this battle of whether you cross the line through temptation, the enemy will whisper in your ear and tell you all the good reasons why you should. And then eventually it's like he drops back and leaves you to make up your own mind. It's our own evil desires that lure us away. Pull us towards that sin. And sometimes we actually process and start to make, um, what should I say? We make a good reason to sin. She made up a good reason. 
The enemy gave her the facts. The enemy gave her the things that she needed. Then he retreats. Let me tell you, the enemy's not pulling you over the line. We're all pretty good at crossing over the line. But the thing is this, and I don't know if you've ever experienced it. You get to this point and you're doing so well and then you're thinking, no one's going to know if I just do this one little thing. No one's going to know. And you cross the line. And as soon as you're on that other side, as soon as you've done this, that same voice that seemed to retreat and let you make your own mind up comes back and he says this, what have you done? What have you done? And you feel so rotten inside. What have you done? God is not going to be happy with you now. And it's the same thing. Adam and Eve, they hid in the garden. They hid from their father. They hid from the one as he come looking for them. And notice that God, all he does is he just wants to find them. All he wants to do is find them, doesn't he? It's the same for us today. I don't know if you're ever in that dilemma, but I'll tell you what, I am. We're in this challenge every single day as believers. As whether or not we cross lines, even down to the littlest thing. None of us are perfect. And I want to encourage you today, because this is not a message of condemnation, because Jesus never condemned. This is not a message of condemnation. In fact, this is a message today to give you encouragement and hope. Because if Paul struggled, then we need to know why. We need to know how he got through this and what is the answer. Paul said, what a wretched man I am. He understood. He said, do you know what? I have do all these amazing things, but look at me. Look at me, I'm a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body, he said. It's destined to death. Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher, said this, The pleasure of sin is soon gone, but the sting remains. The pleasure of sin is soon gone, but the sting remains. Many of us today, we have those small pleasures Small things that when we've crossed the line, but the sting we feel afterwards. We feel that sting. And some of us today, we spend most of our time not developing that relationship with God. And what we're doing is we're just looking and scratching the sting. We're looking at the sting, the result and the consequence. But Paul helps us, I believe, in Romans 7. What should we expect as a believer? I want to talk today just a few things of what I believe we should expect today. What Paul tells us that we should expect. First thing he says, we should expect a battle. We should expect this battle that I've just described. We should expect that as a Christian, we're going to walk right into the battle. We're walking right into a war zone. If you're not in a war zone today, friend, I'm not sure where your faith is. Because I found this, the more things I try to do for God, the more I feel worse sometimes. I feel knocked back. Because I'll tell you what, the enemy wants to do this. You read the book of Job just alone and see that when a man like Job was doing great things for God, the enemy wanted to rob him of his joy. Expect a battle. Verse 22 of Romans 7 says this, For in my inner being, says Paul, I delight in God's law. He has this delight in his heart for doing God's things. We come each week to church, we read or we get up every day and we read and we think, 
I want to do this so much. I really want to do what I've seen on TV and what they're saying to me about on God TV and they're saying this and that. And I really want to do it, but Lord, I delight in all this. But there's another law, says Paul, that's waging war against me. Making me a prisoner. Paul said, it feels like a war against me. I tell you what, although we have a war as a Christian, I want to tell you, the best place you can be is in the war. You say, why? I don't want to walk where I don't feel this war because when I feel the war, I know that I'm doing good things for God. I know I'm living my life to please my Savior. Do you know when I was a young boy, we used to, does anyone remember a a lady, she used to sing called Amy Grant. Amy Grant. Wow, I'm going back. There's only one person put their hand up. A few people in the room. Oh, you're open your hands up now. You're all admitting to it. When I was a young boy and I used to travel in the car with my parents, all those years ago, we used to be going on holidays and I used to love listening to the music in the car. I was always in charge of the music, trying to put things on. But sometimes my mum and dad would put their Christian songs on and they would put this song on by Amy Grant. And it was called Fight. I got the album still because I still listen to it. I remember in my childhood when I listened to it. But this song, I used to sit in the back just as a really young boy. And I used to listen to my mum and dad singing along to it in the car. I want to read the words to you, what it said in this song, in, in, this, in this song, Fight. And my mum and dad would be singing this song. Some days I like myself. Some days I don't. Some days I try with passion. And sometimes I won't. I might just hold my guard up and lock my heart up tight. But it's the door that's open letting in the light. There's a battle raging inside of me. It's a holy struggle and it won't let go of me. I used to listen to these words. I I know them all off by heart. I can sing the songs. I didn't understand a word I was singing. I used to listen to the tunes and my mum and dad would be singing it. They knew. But do you know what I used to listen to? And I used to think this, what on earth are they singing about a battle for? Why are they saying they're in a holy, this, this war, a holy struggle? Why are they describing this? I thought they're supposed to be happy. I thought my mum and dad were Christians. They went to church. They said, this is the answer to life. But they're singing in the, in the car about a holy struggle. The song's called Fight. I'm not sure I want to be in this. But the truth is this, my mum and dad were singing it because even the songwriter knew and even they knew that they were in a fight. Constant fight. They were just singing the chorus of what Paul was saying. And I want to encourage you today that being a Christian is not so easy sometimes. It's not easy, is it? But there's a holy struggle. I want to tell you today that if the best place for us all to be is in a holy struggle. A holy struggle. Just as that song wrote, a holy struggle. When I listen to that song now, I don't sing it and just remember my mum and dad in the car going on long journeys and my dad telling me we're nearly there yet and we never were. I knew what a struggle was in a battle, I tell you, in the back of the car, driving a thousand miles to the south of France. My dad wanting to take the scenic route rather than the motorways to avoid the toll charges. I knew what a struggle was in a fight. That's the thing I was singing about in the back of the car. I thought, yeah, I agree. Just get on the toll roads and we won't have a battle anymore. I want to encourage you today that every one of us, my mum and dad, and I, and I, now I see it. I understand that 
there's this battle going on and it's this battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul talks about it all the time. That when you become a Christian, you invite the Holy Spirit into your life. The moment you do that, you're activating your spirit that was dead. You're becoming born again. You're not born of the flesh. You're born of the spirit. As soon as you're born of the spirit, you're going to recognize things and you're going to see the flesh for what it really is. Some people say, how can I be born again? Nicodemus asked the question. You cannot be born again of your own flesh. You were born on a specific day on your birthday. But you can be born again of the spirit of God. And when his spirit births inside of you, you will recognize flesh for what it is. Galatians 5 verse 16 to 18 says this. Paul says, so I, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. There it is again with each other. So that you do not so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. There's this conflict going on. He describes it here again, and we read it in in Romans 7. He says, I do things I don't want to do. In fact, the very things I hate doing, I'm doing. Think about that just for one minute. The very things that you know in your life that you hate doing, you know they're contrary to the law of God. You know they're contrary to the things that you know God doesn't like. You still do them sometimes. I want to give you the wake up call today that you are not perfect. You are not Jesus himself. Jesus was the one who was sinless. He's the one who came to this earth to die on a cross to take every sin upon him. When we become Christians and the Spirit of God bursts inside of us, what happens is we start to see flesh for what it is. The biggest question you must ask yourself is this, who is the master? Is it the flesh or the Spirit? Before it was the flesh, so much so you didn't even know you had the ability to have a spirit alive. But when there's two at war, Sometimes we're right in the middle. We can't, we try to do one thing and we can't enjoy Christianity because we're so far into our sin and we get trapped in the middle on the fence. But Paul says, I'm doing things I hate doing. He wasn't a perfect man. This man was going around seeing miracles. He was praying for sick people. He was doing some amazing things for God. But yet he tells us this, I'm doing things I hate doing. Maybe that speaks right to you today. That you know there's things that you're, as Paul describes it, covertly doing. Things that you don't want to tell others or others about. You hate doing them. When you do them, you feel the enemy's challenging you right there. Paul says, I hate doing them. When Jesus came into our lives, what he did is he shone his light into our darkness. Amen. He shows us. You see, when that song, we, 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 I read you out earlier, it says this, but there's a door that's open letting in the light, it said. All the time there's a battle going on, there's a door that's opening letting in his light. Amen. There's a door that's opening that's showing you there's, there's, a, there's a way out. You're not trapped. You're not a prisoner. Paul says, I feel like a prisoner. I feel like I'm in a war. But the truth is this, we are not trapped. There's a door that's opening, letting in his glorious light. 
that he purchased on Calvary for every single person in this room, whether you believe it or not. Hallelujah. Just a, a short time ago, we had some people around to our house to look at our electric fuse box. When we moved into our house, we bought the house and somebody said to us, you're gonna, at some point you're gonna need to get all the electrics done on this house. It's, you know, it's a bit of a mishmash. It's things being done at different times. So at one time, someone said to me, you should, the best thing you could do is to make it safer is to at least get the fuse box changed, to get a new fuse box, one of these modern fuse boxes. So I got an electrician in one day when he was looking at something else and I said, I don't know if I can cope with the whole ripping all the floors up, chasing new wires into the wall. I'm not sure I can put up with this. Can you just put me a box on the wall instead of doing the whole thing? Just at least this new fuse box that I believe will make the whole house safer. He said, oh yeah, I can do that for you. It'll cost you this and the, the cost of it was so far less. I thought, this sounds like a better option. What's the point in ripping the walls apart? But he said this to me, he said, if I do it, it will cost you far, far less. But I want to tell you this, that as soon as we put the new fuse box on, all of the problems in your house are going to get highlighted. I said, say that again. He said, all of the things, if there's problems in some of the, the circuits, the currents, he goes, it's going to highlight it immediately. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, the thing will keep flicking off all the time. Well, I thought, well, I don't want this. I'm right in the middle of waiting for the cup of tea and the, the kettle never boils because it's highlighted an issue. He said, the thing is that when they put these things in years ago, he says, the fuse boxes can't detect some of the things. Now they're so good, they will detect and show all the bad stuff. It's up to you. I thought, no, forget it. So I still left it. <laughs> I'm saving up. But the truth is this, it's just like God, God comes in his glorious light and he shines it into our dark lives and he exposes some of the, the things. That's what he wants to do. God is like a brand new fuse box. He has the power and ability to show you your weaknesses, to show you where the problems are in the currents, to show you where the difficulties are. And God says, don't, I want you to bring in my light. I want you to install this fuse box so that you can see where these areas are, not for me to condemn you so that we can work through them. And I want to encourage you today, it's just like that. God's light will come into our lives if we let him. The battle goes on, but his light will reveal these issues. But it's not to condemn. His goodness exposes our weaknesses. And there's a lot to fix, isn't there? I know that if his light comes into my life, he starts to show my weaknesses. He starts to show all the things that's wrong. Not how good I am. It doesn't shine a spotlight on to say, look how good you are. No, in fact, when God increases upon me, it shows how poor I am. It shows my weaknesses. But I want to encourage you today, it's the best place to be. Let him show your weakness. Let him humble you. Let that war go on. It's a good thing, isn't it? To see that God wants to shine his light into the most difficult places in our lives. What we must remember today, friends, is this. We have the ability to take control over our flesh. We have the ability to take control over our sinful nature. Paul says this in his writings. Romans 8. It should come up on the screen. Romans 8. Verse 5 to 8 says this, Paul says, those who live according to the flesh 
have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You see, when we're so wrapped up in the flesh, I mean, there's all questions over today whether if you're saved, once saved, always saved. I don't know what I believe, but all I know is that I just want to stay with Jesus. You can say to me, what do you believe? I believe this, that the moment you start to sin, the moment we start to allow the enemy to take control of our lives, you're starting to dig your own grave. You might not be in at full depth at six foot, but you're starting to dig. But the moment we step back on into his glorious light and realize his grace and realize that as we ask for God's forgiveness, the, the, the it's like Jesus starts to shovel it all back in again and fill up the grave again. But some of us are hostile to God if we're not careful. We're so far over this side, we just, we're enjoying sin again. We don't want to live a life that's godly again. We have no desire to. And then we start to dig our grave. Jesus said, didn't he? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. That's the ultimate. That is where it, as soon as we start to, we, we're releasing, we're saying, Lord, we, we don't want your life. The wages of sin is death. I want to say today, number two is this, expect to fail. First, number one, expect to battle, but number two, expect to fail. You know, so many people today, we come to church sometimes and we feel like, I, we've got to come to church, we can't be a failure. We cannot fail. But I'm telling you today, Paul knew what it was to fail. And I want to encourage you today that if you're in the club of failing, then welcome. Welcome to the club of failures. Because every one of us in this room, we're all failures. But if it wasn't for God, for what he's done in our lives, for what he can do in our lives, then we would have no hope. Expect to fail. Paul said this, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I do, I keep doing. He realized I'm keep failing. I want to tell you this, when I see my little boys and they do things wrong, boy, that naughty mat is getting worn out in our house. I've got not, we've got that many different naughty mats, naughty steps and everything. I've got no idea what's going on. I get so mixed up sometimes of, Emma says to me sometimes, you forgot, Lewis has been on there for about 10 minutes. Ah, yeah. And I run back into the kitchen and he sat there. But sometimes they, they fail. But even every time they fail, I will never stop loving them. They could do the worst thing ever. And I still love them. And I, if we can love our children like that, how much more can our Father in Heaven love us? Come on, guys. It's the truth. The enemy doesn't want you to see that he has a love for you. That's another message. But he has a love for every single one of us that transcends all of our sin. All of the things we've done enough to step out of that glorious place in heaven. The darling of heaven crucified. 
He's our heavenly father. The biggest lie today is the enemy. The enemy that tells us that we need to be perfect to please him. We always need to be perfect to never fail in. But every time we fail, the Lord says, come on, son, daughter, get up. I believe in you. I know you can do it again. I know you failed. That's why I came. I know that you're struggling. I know it's a war. I know it's a holy struggle. But get back up again. But all the time we feel the enemy is rising up against us saying, you failed God. How many times can you fail him? He's not going to be happy with you. We don't want to let this sin master us. Amen. We have an ability inside. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, I don't know if you know Jesus, but when he comes inside of you and lives inside of you, he gives you the ability to rise up again. The worst things you could have ever done, the guilt that's on your mind today for some of the things you've done, even in the past week, even in the years gone by, let me tell you, his blood has the ability to cover every single sin. There's not one thing that his blood cannot rescue you from. Hallelujah. In Genesis 4, verse 6 to 7, 6 to 7, just after Adam and Eve, the great fall, Cain is now presented, it says this, with the, with the same problem. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He was jealous of his brother. If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. You must rule over it. Jesus is not even on the scene yet. As in the New Testament way of talking about this. But he says you have the ability to rule over sin. He says sin is crouching at the door. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. It feels like he's right there. I'm trying to kick him out every single day. Right there, every time. And I let him in. The enemy, and I've done something wrong. And I think, oh, what am I going to do? Because sin's crouching there to have you. What does it say? 1 Peter 5, 6 says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. Hallelujah. We know that we have the line of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. When sin is our master, we've allowed our mind to be governed by the flesh. And I want to encourage you today when you fail. You have the ability to take control of your flesh through your spirit. Remind yourself today. Remind yourself tomorrow when the enemy comes again and say, I'm not, even if I failed, I know that I'm covered by his blood, by his grace. And I can stand up again. And I can tell you again, enemy, sin, that you are not the master over me. You see, the enemy does not want you to hear this today. The enemy wants us to curl up in a ball. To hide away. And to think, there's no point trying again. I've fallen far too many times. In fact, if anyone really heard what I've done, they'd be so disgusted in me. Do you know what? I'm beginning to realize there's nothing ever surprises me. Nothing. Because all of us are susceptible to the same stuff. Not one of us in this room is better than anyone else. Not one of us in this room is better than any single person. Every single one. If anyone ever tells me anything, I'm never shocked. I just think, do you know what? 
Lord, we all need help. We all need help. Because sin's always crouching at the door waiting to have every single one. So don't ever put anyone down. Don't ever look at anyone if they've done anything wrong. We need to love them and welcome back to his kingdom. The enemy highlights our failures. He deceives us into thinking that we've lost control. He says, you've failed far too many times. Just give up. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, Paul says this, don't give the devil a foothold. In your anger, do not sin, he says. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And don't give the devil a foothold. There it is again. Sin's crouching at the door in Genesis. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't let him in. Don't let him come into your life. Because sometimes when you do, you're battling with something that you feel like you've lost control. But the reminder today is that you have the ability to overcome. I'm going to tell you a story. Just a few years ago, I was sat in the living room in our house. And I was watching TV. Emma had gone to bed. It was very late. And I was just watching the TV. And all of a sudden, I heard this noise coming from the kitchen. And it was like a scratching noise. And it was so loud. And I I paused the TV, turned the sound down. And I thought, what on earth is that? Everyone was asleep. The kiddies were asleep. So I put the TV back up again. There it was again, just a few minutes later. The sound comes again. And it sounded like someone was breaking in through the back door. They were trying something with the back door. So I get so from my chair and I walked. And this is, it must have been about half 11 midnight. And I walked through our hallway and I come to the kitchen door to open the door. And just as I opened it to creep to look at the back door, because I'm trying that no one see me in there in case someone's trying to break in. And just as I opened the back door, right in the middle of our kitchen on the floor, was this little white creature about this big. It looked, I would exaggerate to say, it looked like a large oversized white rat. It wasn't, but I just saw this thing in the middle. I thought, what on earth is that? And as soon as I looked, I stared, it stared at me. We looked at each other. I thought, how on earth has that got in the house? It was, it was this big. It was this big. It was that big. We don't we exaggerate a lot. I think it was about that big. I was trying to detect in these few seconds what it was. And then all of a sudden it ran away. And it went underneath the, the, the kitchen cupboard. And I thought, what on earth is white? It didn't look like it had much of a tail. I thought, has its tail been uh, cut off as someone's tried to attack this thing before? This is a, a true story. And so I went... I just thought, I froze inside, because I'll tell you this, I, I have a fear. I have a holy war every day against spiders. I don't like mice and things like that. I just don't like rodents and things. I get Emma to deal with all these things. And you know, if there's a spider, I'm really sorry to say, but I get the hoover. <laughs> it's so much easier, you don't, don't I? I get the hoover. But I saw this thing. And I froze and it went away. So I thought, what am I going to do? I didn't want to wake the kids up. I thought, I don't want to create havoc here. She's like, but I'm really fearful of this thing. I don't like these things. So I waited again and I was just stood by the door watching. And all of a sudden it came back out again when it thought the coast was clear. It came back in the kitchen and then I just looked again and it stared at me and it ran off again. So I shut the kitchen door. I thought, I've got it trapped there now. It's, it's secure. And I didn't even, and then Emma just came down at the top of the session. She goes, what on earth are you doing down there? And I said, 
you're not going to believe this. I don't know what it is, but there's something in the kitchen. I said, it's white. I think it's a rat. It's this big. She goes, you're joking. I said, just leave it with me. Go back to bed. So I jumped in the car. It's now about midnight. I'm checking on my phone which shops are open to find some trap, mouse trap. The only place is Tesco's Bar Hill, 24 hours. So I drove up to Tesco's. I walked into Tesco's. And there's just the security guards there, big security guards. And I'm looking around because I don't want to ask him for a mouse trap. I'm looking around trying to find mouse traps. I couldn't find them anywhere, so I went to the security guard. I, I gave in. And I said, I, listen, I could, I need a mouse trap. I don't know what it is, but there's this white rat. It's about this big. He said, that big? I said, it's got no tail. I think it's been amputated through someone trying to attack it. I was saying all this thing. I said, I literally said to him, because I've got no idea what it is, but it's in our kitchen. He said, I'm so sorry that you got this problem. He says, but we haven't got any mouse traps. We stopped selling them. I thought, I don't believe this. Tesco, every little helps, but not always. I thought, it never, it's never when you need it, is it? So I jump back in the car. I drive down to one of the garages, the 24-hour garage. I'm knocking on the window because I couldn't go in the door. And I'm saying, have you got any mouse traps?" All the time I'm thinking, what is he doing to my family, this large rat? Eventually I get home with no mousetrap. I had to do this on my own. With all my ability, my strength, I was building up the courage to go back in and I, I didn't have no idea what was going to happen when I opened the kitchen door, where it was going to be, if it invited its friends in and they're going to have a party. But I walked in the house and I was shaking. I thought, I don't, I don't want to do this. By this time, Emma's gone back to sleep again. She's totally fine. She wasn't even looking at the kitchen. She just left it there, left me to go on my little journeys out looking for mousetraps. And I walked in the house and I went up to the kitchen door and I opened it and lo and behold, it was there. I shut the door again and it ran off. So I thought, what am I going to do? So then the next thing I did is I thought, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to lead a a line of cheese. It's like Tom and Jerry. I'm going to lead a line of cheese from where I know it's just ran and I'm going to get a box and I'm going to try and let it walk into the box of the cheese. And as soon as it is, it's going to be, it's going to take a lot of courage this, but I'm going to run in, shut the lid and I just hope I get it in and I'm going to throw it outside. I was building myself up for this, I tell you. It took me about 30 minutes to get ready. I even got, I hate to say it, but I even got a big bottle of pop. I don't know why. Just in case it came towards me to throw it. That's the only thing I could find, a big bottle of Fanta. Anyway, I went in to do it. I set this up and lo and behold, I watched out of the crack of a door and it followed the cheese. And it came down. And I'm watching, Emma, no one's up at this stage. And all of a sudden, it went into the box. And I ran over, and I was so scared, I just shut the box, opened the door, and threw it outside. And I slammed the door like this, and I thought, I don't care about the box. And I shouted out, I don't know what I shouted, some weird, funny thing. That's what woke Emma up. She goes, what on earth are you doing? I said, it's gone, with no mousetrap. And so by this time it was outside, I could go to bed. I still didn't know what it was. I went upstairs, I looked out the window, I showed Emma, I said, there it is, look. And it started to walk out of the box on the side of our drive. We put the security light on and we were watching it walk out. This is the first thing that Emma says to me. 
She looked out the window. She said, it's not that big. You said it was that big. She said, it's a hamster. I said, are you sure? I thought it was a white rat. No, no, no. That's a hamster. Go and get it quickly. It's probably someone's pet. So I ran back downstairs. I ran out of the back door. And I'm looking. By this time, it had gone. I don't know which cat got it, but something's got it. It vanished into midair. Anyway, that was that. We went to bed that evening. We all relaxed. I'd overcome. I got this thing out of the door. The next morning, I wake up. And was it? I went round next door. And I just said to the next door neighbor, I just want to check. Because my, my thoughts were, is this someone's pet? So the first thing I did is I went round next door. And I just knocked on the door. And this lady answered. They were an American family. that They come of a big family from America living uh, and the kids went to the school, which our, our kids are at now. And I just said, I just want to ask you this question. I said, but by any chance, you haven't lost a large white rat. <laughs> you haven't lost a hamster by any chance, have you? As soon as I said it, she started to break down. The kids came running to the door. She said, you found it. I said, sorry. She said, you found the, you found the kids. He's found the hamster. He's found Harry. I stood there and said, I'm really, really sorry. But I thought it was a large, a large white rat. And I, and I, and I put it in a box and I, what did you do? I threw it outside. The next thing she tells me is this. It's not ours, it's the school's. It's the school hamster. We've got it for a week. The kids have had it, but we've been really sad because for some reason it's got lost and you found it, but now you've let it go. And I'm like, oh, this is getting worse. Our kids are about to start this school. This is the first thing that the teacher, the head teacher hears that Mr. Shaw, his kids are starting, but he's killed the school hamster. I said, I'm really sorry, but I'm sh- I let the thing go and I don't know where it's gone. Everyone was sad for a moment. We had a, a time together then we just moved on. But I want to tell you this. Throughout all that time and all my life with rodents like that. But that night I was frozen. I was frozen in the house when I saw this thing. It was so small. It come in the kitchen. It took over the whole house. It made me drive up to Tesco's. It made me drive looking for mouse traps, throwing bottles at it, trying to get it out and shouting weird things and, and getting really scared. Honestly. But let me tell you this. The enemy is just the same. He's so small. He's not a large, a, a large white rat. He's not something that is br- big. He's not something that should take over your whole house and over your life and worry you and fear you. But when he comes in, he's just something small. You just need someone to tell you sometimes. That's all it is. It's just a hamster. It's just a pet. He likes cheese. That's all. He's not going to eat you. But the trouble is this, the enemy will make you think he's far bigger than what he is. He will have you running around you, the house of your life in a tiz. Totally messed up trying to think this is it. The whole thing's just falling apart when all it is is just something small. I'm not saying that sin and trying to put sin down to something small, but what I'm trying to tell you today is this. When the enemy comes in because of our sins, because of our evil desires, when he does, I want to tell you there's a way forward. It's not as as hard as what you think. Don't let the enemy take over your house of your life. 
Romans 6.11 says this, count yourselves dead to sin. Don't let sin reign in your body. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God as though you've been brought from death to life. Hallelujah. Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin. I know the equations, the maths don't always work out right. But his kingdom says that you've got a new a new way of working things out. You've got a new calculator. The calculator he gives you when you're born again says this. As much as you try to get it to work right and you press equal, it always says that you're saved under grace. And you're trying to put it, plug it in. He says, count yourselves dead to sin. Count yourselves dead to sin. And finally, I'm just going to rush through this one. But finally, Paul says this, that we should expect a rescuer. Expect a rescuer. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of sin, this subject to death? But he says, verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. There is victory for the sinner. Paul said, I'm a wretched man. Who's going to rescue me from this body? Let me tell you, that is the issue. Your spirit is inside a body that is prone to sin. It likes to sin. It's tempted. Paul knew that it had all been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Amen. He knew that there was a rescue. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else will deliver. No one else has the ability to pay for your mess ups. No one else has the ability like a father to pick someone up who's failed in Jesus Christ himself. There's no other God on this earth or anywhere that you will ever find who has the ability, who has paid the price of your sin and died for you. Except Jesus. Paul was torn in two in this battle of sin. He was torn in two of sin and goodness and always trying to fight it. And he describes it. But let me remind you today, the Bible says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he tore the veil in two. He tore the veil in two in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies to the main room. Let me tell you this, if I want to put it in a simpler term for you, if you're saying, what on earth is the Holy of Holies? What is this veil? I don't understand it. Let me tell you this. It's just like he knocked down and made what two rooms, one room. You see, at one point, at the Day of Atonement, every year they would come, and they would be sinful, and there'd be a division, and they would have to come through this veil. Some writers describe this veil, this curtain, to be four inches thick. He says not even, some writers say that not even horses could pull it apart. This veil was a division. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, it records and says that the veil in the temple literally tore into two halves. It made a way, it made two rooms, one room. And I want to tell you today, you might be fighting like Paul does and you're torn in two, you're torn into sin and you're torn into goodness and you're in this battle. But Jesus says to you today, I paid the price on the cross to open up to make one room so that you don't have to be always feeling like you're in a battle of two halves. I invite you into my presence, into one room, he says. Matthew 27 said it here, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a way made forward for us all. Jesus. We know that 
In Romans 8, just after the scriptures we've read today in Romans 8, Paul said there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. In fact, he starts off in Romans 8, he says, therefore. In other words, what I've just been talking about, what I've just been saying about you doing things and, you know, you're finding it hard and you're doing things that you hate doing and you're in this war. But then he says, Romans 8, therefore. Therefore, there is no condemnation. Hallelujah. I thank God that he, that there's Romans 8. I don't know about you. I thank God that there's a rescuer. 1 John 2, verse 1 to 2 says, we've got an advocate. John writes this, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not, so that when, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hallelujah. He's our advocate today. Let me remind you, he's your advocate. He's not the one who condemns. He's the one who convicts. He draws us back to God. He draws us back to the one who forgives all our sins, heals all our diseases and rescues our life from the pit. Hallelujah. Let me tell you who the enemy is. He's the accuser of the brethren, says Revelation. He's the one who for day and night is accusing you. But let me tell you today that Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. He's saying, I'm championing them on. Even though they've just crossed over the line, I'm championing them on. And then there's the accuser saying, but look at what they've done. Jesus says, yes, but I've paid the price. Look at the wounds on my hand. Look at the wounds on my feet. Look at the wounds on my head. He's the advocate for us. The Holy Spirit will only ever convict you and bring you back. He's the jury who says, this is what you've done, but I want to give you an opportunity back. The enemy just wants to condemn us and make us feel worthless. And finally this, in Hebrews 4, I finish with this. Hebrews 4, verse 15 to 16. The writer says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.